Have you ever seen anybody play the game called soccer? Welcome, everyone, to the Yankee Wankers football podcast, part of the Sports Pros Network, where we're always talking sports, so let's start the conversation. I'm your host, Keith Needham, and I'm joined in studio, as always, by my co-host and resident hooligans, Barrett Hartman and Clayton McKinney. Guys, how are we doing this afternoon? Well, I am uh, healthier than anybody on the Liverpool back line, so I can't complain about that. It gets worse each and every day, doesn't it? So, Clayton, how about you, bud? I'm tired and excited. <laughs> tired and excited, so I like that. So, we'll see what that combination yields for the pod here. Uh, this, uh, I guess we're recording this on a Friday afternoon, which is you know typically a day later than what we normally do. We usually do Wednesdays or Thursdays. Thursdays more often than not. And so, I uh, had an extra day, I guess, to kind of let some news unfold and develop. And so, we've got some U.S. men's national team news we're going to go over and kind of recap their uh, match with Wells uh, a little later in the pod, but also all kinds of crazy news. And Barrett, you mentioned it, right? So Liverpool, <laughs> there are two or three players <laughs> down further than even what they were, right? So yep. with the uh, Mosala uh, testing positive for COVID, and then uh, Gomez uh, being injured uh, on England duty, and uh, the hits keep on a coming, man. Yeah, so d- don't forget Trent Alexander Arnold down. That's as right. Well. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, yeah he's going to be out for several weeks. It sounds yeah, about like a month. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So no, no, no bueno there. Our, our Manchester United has fared maybe a little bit better from an injury front standpoint Clayton but hey the week's not over so (laughs) (laughs) ladies and gentlemen we're here to tell you it could get worse so uh, stick around and uh, let's see what the international break brings us but before we get into all that good uh, uh, footy discussion uh, guys as always we got to show a little bit of love to our sponsor and of course that's Chalk Sports Bar. Chalk is Oklahoma City's premier luxury sports bar located in Chisholm Creek Plaza at 1324 West Memorial Road. Follow Ben Chad and the whole Chalk team on the web at chalkokc.com or follow them on Instagram and Twitter at ChalkOKC. Their weekend brunch setup is usually perfect for those mid-morning EPL kickoffs. Obviously, international break this weekend, but you can come join us and watch the Masters. Uh, but on normal weeks, again, go up there, have brunch, watch some EPL matches on all the big screens and the amazing menu of food that they have. Always the favorite, that's Chalk Luxury Sports Bar. And so, guys, we've mentioned it on a few of the other pods earlier this week on the Sports Pros Network that we're going to be doing a live podcast at Chalk tomorrow afternoon, right? So we're recording this on Friday, so it's going to be Saturday afternoon, November 14th, between noon and 4. We're going to be out there watching the Masters, watching some college football and whatever else is on. I'm sure we'll have a couple of TVs dedicated to uh, international uh, qualifiers or friendlies on Saturday afternoon, but uh, looking forward to that. So I'm going to give some T-shirts away, some gift cards, and uh, have our listeners come up and say hello. I guess from a socially distant, right? We'll be responsible about it. it might give you a fist bump or something. We'll uh, uh, be be masked up, I guess, and whatever the rules require uh, to be. But looking forward to doing that on Saturday afternoon. And so, you, you guys, you're going to make it out. You're going to come say hello and, and come maybe sit in on the pod for a little bit, right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to effort that okay. direction. Uh, I know you still got some trees to clean up in the man, backyard, I, I right? Still got so, a lot of trees to clean up. Yeah. So if it's uh, beautiful weather and I can uh, manage to get uh, a burn permit and burn safely, I'll probably be doing that instead. All right. Well, I hope to see you out there, Clayton. You live across the street, so you. Don't really have any excuse, right? <laughs> well, I might have uh, my other podcast going on, but I, I'll probably make it out there to, towards the tail well, end. It's, I it's, guess it's a four-hour, uh, um, you know, yeah, kind of kind of setup, right? So I'm sure that you can you can take a 15-minute break and come say hello and uh, say uh, hello to our fans and uh, the other oh, other yeah. uh, sports pros network podcasters that are out there. So, uh, but again, going to be a lot of fun. So for our listeners out there, if you're listening to it here on Friday evening or early Saturday morning, uh, swing by Chalk on Saturday afternoon and come say hello. So, uh, well, guys, 
you know, let's recap what happened this past weekend. I guess it would be what match week eight uh, in the EPL here before the international breaks kind of ongoing now, but we have to start with what was the biggest match uh, of the weekend. And we'll pick up on Sunday afternoon here, but um, Barrett, your Liverpool squad heading over to the Etihad to take on Manchester city. It ends honors even one, one, which I think on the pick you had two, two, right? So yep, you, you yep, got that right. Uh, you got the result, right? But your thoughts on Liverpool's performance, right? They get out to an early league with, with a penalty for Mo Salah, and then Manchester City pegs them back, and then well, Kevin De Bruyne misses a penalty, right? So and Yeah, imagine kinda, that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's all split from there. But your thoughts on Liverpool's performance? Well, I mean, it was a very entertaining first half. Um, you know, uh, I think Liverpool probably had the, the, the best of it in that opening 45, but, you know, credit Gabby Jesus for uh, that equalizer there. And You had him in the fantasy pick that week, I too, did. right? So kudos yeah. to you, yep. Uh, so I was all over this one, uh, but... Uh, you know, w- w- was that a fortunate bounce for Gab- bounce for Gabby, or is that a fantastic first touch? You know, maybe we'll never know, but but either way, uh, he he gets it in the net. So give give credit where credit's due there. You know, I, I do want to talk briefly about the uh, penalty that De Bruyne missed. Not necessarily about him missing, which was a shocker. Yeah, the handball, yeah, but yeah. but about the handball on Joe Gomez. Um, you know, this is one of those cases. He's out on the very edge of the 18-yard box. He's running at full sprint. His arms are pumping like anybody's arms pump when they run. Ball comes in from close range, hits his arm. You know, he didn't know anything about it. Um, and, you know, in the beginning of the season, based on the rules, that's a penalty. Um, then after, what, about match week three, uh, they revised the rules to uh, kind of do away with some of these more ridiculous penalties and give some more discretion when the arm is in a natural position, which when you're running, uh, you know, his arm was in an incredibly natural position. So, you know, they go, VAR looks at it, referee looks at it, awards the penalty. Um, a bit ridiculous, but um, as our uh, good friend, I believe it was uh, Charles Oakley said, ball don't lie. <laughs> ball don't <laughs> uh, lie. So uh, De Bruyne steps up and, uh, you know, uh, promptly misses the PK. So good on him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the frustration with the uh, the inconsistency in the handball yep. calls is what it is, right? So if, if if it's the same across the board, but, you know, Jordan Henderson, the postgame press conference and a lot of the commentators uh, in the commentary from that game afterwards was focused on that penalty call yep. um, that, uh, you know, the game prior earlier that morning, Leicester City and Wolves, which we'll talk about that here in a moment. Yep. There was a eerily similar situation. It, yes. Uh, same, <laughs> same side, yeah, you know, both yeah. going down that right hand side. And it um, wasn't a handball, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. It's just how how are defenders? Uh, how do they know what it what the hell it is that they're supposed to do? And so yeah, yeah got to be yeah. frustrating on that. Uh, and uh, certainly, I, I guess maybe the football gods kind of even some things out, right? So yeah, uh, yeah, well, I mean, he missed it. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't argue too much. It didn't have a result on the game, so um, you know all, all's fair there. But uh, you know, I mentioned the first half being entertaining, and and you know, I felt Liverpool had the best of it there, the the, the more opportunities. But the second half. Uh, Pretty dry, pretty uh, boring football, not a whole lot of action. And uh, to me, both teams just looked incredibly gassed. Um, you know, the last three months, they're basically playing twice a week uh, between Champions League and Premier League. Uh, then in a big game like this one, you know, you're not going to rest anybody. you got to play them if they're fit. So... I don't know. These guys just need a little bit of a break, in my opinion. Yep, and we're going to talk about that here a little later in the pod, about what to do about the just the rash of injuries, and a lot of it's soft tissue injuries as well, which you'll get, you would argue is probably overuse uh, of yep. the muscles. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but, you know, moving on, and a guy, one of our guys did suffer one of those injuries, uh, Clayton, Luke Shaw. I think he's set to be out for several weeks with a hamstring injury now. But, you know, before we get to that, you know, we have to go rewind back to Saturday. United... It's, it's a case of which United's going to show up, right? We have good United. We have bad United. There doesn't seem to be any consistency. But 
they looked pretty good last Saturday against Everton. Again, a big win, 3-1. Uh, they fall behind early. Uh, 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 Everton go up in the 19th minute with a goal from Bernard, and then Bruno Fernandez claws them back uh, there in the first half, um, getting uh, a header uh, with the first goal. And then, I don't know, it was kind of a, <laughs> a, a, a chass. <laughs> yeah, a chass, I think, yeah. right? It was shot pass, uh, You know, obviously trying to uh, whip it in there for Marcus Rashford to get a header, but uh, I don't think Rashford got a touch on it, so it ends up hitting the post and bouncing in. And then Cavani comes out uh, in the uh, 90th minute to finish it off on his sub row and opens up his account for Manchester United. But have to be pleased with this performance by United, right, Clayton? Yeah, I mean, as a United fan, yes. However, I do have a question for you about this. Since Pochettino is still out there, did we screw ourselves by winning? <laughs> <laughs> it's, we uh, and yeah, and, and Ed Woodward come out this week uh, earlier this week and said, "Hey, we're completely behind uh, Oli. You know, we he's he, we've never wavered. Uh, he's the man for the job. But, you know, he's got our long term support here." And it's like, well, shit, is that good or bad, right? <laughs> then again, if we get performances like this on a week in and week out basis, I think we'll be tickled. But uh, it's just the the, the dichotomy between the, the two different Uniteds that we always see. Again, I would just, I mean, what, what would a middle-of-the-road United look like? Because there's nothing in the middle. Either they look great, and they're going out, and they look like the kings of Europe again after, you know, those two uh, two big wins uh, in the Champions League, or they're shit, um, and we see them lose to uh, uh, Champions League rookies, uh, Istanbul, Bashakir, um, and then dropping uh, points again at home against Arsenal, and we'll get to Arsenal here in a moment. They look like shit this past weekend, too, but... You know what? What's the key to consistency, Clayton? I mean, how how do we keep the good performances but get rid of the shitty ones? Well, I mean, it's got to be all about tactics too, right? So, I mean, going, I I want them to be more attack minded um, than kind of dropping off with you know McTominay and Fred in the middle, kind of have that defensive shape. Honestly, I'd rather see them attack the goal with you know good chances and missing them and losing than kind of sitting back and defending and then losing that way or, you know, just passing the ball around the perimeter and losing out somehow and then having the other team go and counterattack where we kind of fuck up in the defense and they end up scoring. I mean, it's just tactically it's got to be more sound as far as going forward and how we play. I think that's kind of the keys as to get some consistency behind that, so... Yeah, and you talk about, you know, tactics and, uh, you know, Ole's been somewhat rigid, it seems like, in domestic play to kind of say, no, we're going to go 4-2-3-1 and, uh, you know, Bruno's going to play the 10 and then we'll figure out which two holding midfielders are going to be there. Uh, whereas, you know, we've shown some flexibility more uh, on the continental side about, you know, kind of playing three at the back and having some wing backs and playing a midfield diamond or something along those lines. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm pleased with the result, I guess. And really, maybe we just shut up, right? So take the three <laughs> points and, uh, and move on down the road and uh, hope uh, no more injuries uh, um, are accrued by uh, United on that front over the international break. Again, we mentioned Luke Shaw. Uh, his look to be kind of ugly. I think he's going to be out for several weeks, it sounded like. And uh, uh, they, have, they host West Brom uh, whenever we come back. Uh, lowly West Brom down there, and I think they're 18th place currently in the table uh, whenever we come back for the international break. And, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't genuinely nervous about that. <laughs> so right. It's like we're at home and we're playing a shit team, so we'll probably lose, right? So, uh, But uh, we'll we'll see what plays out. But, you know, talking about some of the other big squads, guys, that uh, had, had had good results uh, from this past weekend, we've got to talk about Chelsea, right? So 4-1 over Sheffield United. Again, probably not a shock as to the outcome of the match, Barrett, but, I mean, Chelsea looked – Pretty impressive. After falling behind early, right? They give up a goal early too, and uh, and really just kick Sheffield's butt from that point forward. Yeah, I mean, when when Chelsea are clicking, they look really, really good. You know, you mentioned Sheffield getting out to the early lead. They pick up their second non penalty kick goal of the season of the season in their eighth game. So, uh, congrats for that. 
But like like I said, when when Chelsea get it going, they are potent. Uh, ben Chilwell, man, he just looks incredible. He is that's a good piece yeah. of business there, yeah. right? Yeah. So he might yeah. be the best one out of the group. And might you know, obviously, you think about some of the you know Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and some of the superstars they brought in. But uh, he he might be the best buy of the group. Yeah, I mean, he he gets another goal. He almost has a, a second goal in that game. He's always uh, you know getting assists. He's a, a monster on set pieces, and he, and he defends okay. Uh, I'm not going to say he's a great defender, but. You know, I support a team that uh, you know has Trent Alexander Arnold as a as a fullback, and you get two wingers at fullback. Yeah, yeah. yeah basically. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm I'm not going to cuss uh, Ben Chilwell on that on that regard. So uh, the, the other bright spot I saw uh, Ziyech. Um, you know, he's he got a couple of assists there. He he looks to be uh, you know maybe the favorite to take a lot of the set pieces when he's in. Um, we've also seen Chilwell take a lot of set pieces, but uh, between those two guys. Uh, two dangerous guys throwing balls in the box. Yeah, a uh, yeah. crazy whip uh, on the ball, yep. too. So, oh, they're on the right wing. And so, they're still, you know, obviously uh, Pulisic, which he's still out, right? You'd think he would gonna, he's going to be the guy that plays on that left wing, but we'll see. But any any thoughts on Chelsea? And, uh, again, I, I know you've been big from a fantasy pick standpoint on Timo Werner, yeah. uh, Clayton, and he he got you a goal, right? So, yeah, he, he yeah. did well for you this weekend. But your thoughts on the Blues? Oh, no, I mean – they, they played really well. I mean, even Tommy Abraham, I thought, had a pretty good game as well, and he also netted one in. Um, I thought he was bo- he was uh, bright and positive going forward. Um, again, yeah, like what you said, Barrett, I mean, Chilwell was, you know, a huge difference in that game, and then he's – they're just getting everything fine-tuned right now. I mean, it just took them a while to get going. They have their pieces. You know, obviously there's some players out, but, I mean, they're they're looking really good right now. Yeah, and we talked about that, you know, in the preseason pod, rewind back 10 weeks ago as to, hey, you know, how long is it going to take for all these new pieces to kind of fit together? You know, they went through the doldrums a few weeks ago, uh, giving up goals at the back, right? That was yep. their problem. It's like, man, they were just shipping goals left and right. And, uh, you know, Lampard made some changes and made some tactical changes there. And they had a couple, you know, kind of nil-nil draws, you know, in, in the uh, uh, Euro- European play. And then that uh, nil-nil draw at uh, Old Trafford, you know, a few weeks ago as well. And people are like, well, that was boring football. But it seems to have paid some dividends for Chelsea kind of moving forward because now they're somewhat secure at the back and uh, they can kind of turn some of those horses loose uh, to go score some goals and so it's uh, seems like maybe it's working out for Lampard right now but uh, we'll we'll kind of see uh, what happens after we come back from the international break but talking about uh, a, a game that didn't have a lot of goals in it um, and that was uh, West Brom and Spurs. So Harry Kane uh, gets the winner in the 88th minute. Um, and Spurs was obviously had more possession, had more of the better chances, but they had to labor to this win uh, on uh, Sunday uh, morning, guys. But um, you know, Barrett, I'll start with you. You know, your thoughts on Spurs? I mean, they're they're second in the table right now, right? One one point behind uh, mighty Leicester City, which we all had uh, pegged uh, for top of the table at this point in the season, I'm sure. But uh, your thoughts on Spurs' uh, performance against West Brom? Well, I got this result right in the pick'em as well, but I, I couldn't have been more wrong about the about how the match would go. You know, West Brom they have the worst goal difference in the Premier League, and then you know you got Kane and Son and, and what they've. I mean, they've just been terrorizing people. Uh, you just expect them to eat West Brom alive, but West Brom go with five at the back. You know, five defenders back there, and, and Spurs for whatever reason couldn't break them down. Um, you know, they had the, the aforementioned Kane and Son. They also started Gareth Bale. Yeah, played 75 minutes, give or take, I think, yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, with all of that talent, they couldn't break down that back five. So the, the biggest surprise to me, though, is West Brom actually created some chances there. Um, they, they weren't just sitting back and defending. You, you mentioned, you know, Tottenham had the bulk of the possession, but, it, you know, it wasn't a 70-30 split. I think it was like a 55-45 split. Mm-hmm. It, um, so it wasn't domination by Tottenham. I, I think West Brom were a little bit game here, and, and they were actually, despite losing, a little bit more impressive for me. 
Yeah, and you know that this is just a game that Jose Mourinho loves to win, right? So he's like, oh, it was ugly, it was scrappy, but we get the whole three points and, and nick a goal in the 88th minute to win all three points. And you know, people are going to bitch about it, but uh, but we won, and so he can walk off with a smile. But your, your thoughts on Spurs, I mean, probably – I mean, I don't think that we had them picked for second in the table, you know, what a, th- a quarter of the way through the season, right, uh, Clayton? So they've, you can't really argue with the results right now, right? I think I had them in the top four at least. Um, I mean, hey, they find a way to win. It might not be convincing, but, you know, they're going to go out and grind games. And, I mean, that's what makes them a tough team too, right? So they're going to go out and get these 1-0 games, get the points, then, yeah, I mean, you got to find ways to win. And they And they have done that. So, I mean, I mean, Harry Kane's been a godsend, so they continue that. Um, I mean, their midfield play is just not great at the moment. I, I think that's probably the weakest part of their team um, is that creative midfield position. But, yeah, they just keep finding ways to win. Yeah, I was going to say the creative element from the midfield seems to be missing. I'm with you. And you would you would have expected that that would be the position or role that Deli Ali would hold down, right? And he is just <laughs> he can't. in the doghouse, and uh, yeah. I don't know if he's he's – Got a long career left at Spurs at this point, right? He is uh, Mourinho. He's not one of Mourinho's favorites, right, Barry? No, no, Mourinho can't stand him for whatever reason. And, and like you, I just have no idea what it is. Maybe I don't know. Does Mourinho have a daughter or something? That yeah, I don't uh, know. I don't well, know. You, you think back to you know his his time at Manchester United, and there was always seemed to be a beef with Paul Pogba there. And so I don't know if it's just the the younger, maybe more flamboyant uh, age group that kind of uh, uh, has a little swagger to him or something that he just kind of conflicts with from a personality standpoint. But you think about the guys that he is playing in midfield, right? So you get the Hoybergs of the world and some yep. guys that are just, you know, kind of yeoman workers, right? Very blue collar, I guess, would yep. maybe be the way to describe those midfielders that'll go in and do a job, but maybe don't have the, the same creative flair for the game. But uh, that's, he's making it work. I guess if you have Son and, and Kane up top, you don't need a whole lot of yep. uh, uh, fancy uh, stuff from the midfield. But yep. uh, uh, yeah, I mean, they're in second place right now. So uh, hard to uh, argue with the results. But, you know, I, let's let's move on to the, the late game on Sunday afternoon, guys. And Maybe somewhat of a surprising result as to how it played out, uh, but Arsenal uh, lose at home to Aston Villa 3-0, and so they go behind early by an own goal uh, by Bakari Saka in the 25th minute, and then uh, Ollie Watkins uh, you know, punches him uh, out or knocks him out in the second half with two goals there in the 72nd and 75th minute. Uh, but, but Clayton, I'll start with you. You know, We, we talked a, a little bit about you know a week ago on the pod about Arsenal getting some plaudits about, oh, what a tremendous win at you know, Old Trafford. It was their first win against a top-six opponent and you know, God knows how many games. I can't remember how many years it was now. And we're kind of like, well, they were kind of shit. It's just they were less <laughs> shit than, than United, and they got a penalty, right? Yeah, so yeah, the penalty yeah. was yeah, the difference. Yeah, what, yeah, what, was, was what was so great about that performance? And uh, it kind of followed up here. And I've been a big proponent of Mikel Arteta. I, I think the guy's going to be a good manager. I think he's one of the brightest young minds in the game. But uh, this was not a good performance, right? I mean, absolutely not. Um, you know, outside of the Europa League, um, I mean, Arsenal have not done anything, you know, of, I guess, quality in the Premier League, right? So, you don't count that win against United. As well. <laughs> I don't. I, don't. I mean, it's it's just. I mean, their attack has been really disorganized to say the least. They look very indecisive. There were times where they should have shot the ball and then passed it, or have should have passed it and shot the ball, right? I mean, there was a brief moment around the 30th minute where there was kind of a, a flurry of kind of what you expect from an Arsenal team, you know, you know, constant attacks into the box, you know, grabbing the ball, playing it around, launching it back in. Um, I mean, that's kind of what I think, you know, Arteta wants to see. But I don't know if it's, you know, the tactics not working out for the players or, 
You know, if he's if he's trying to play like a man, I mean, obviously it's Man City esque. I don't think he has the players to do that. I mean, they have good individual players. Don't get me wrong, but it's just it's just not working out for him. I mean, he's he's got to try something new because it's it's just not working. Um, I mean, you have Lacazette out there too. He's not he's not uh, you know bringing any production to the table either. I mean, he was he was scoring goals at the beginning of the season, but now it's just they're just lacking. I mean, they've only scored what seven goals, I think, that in the EPL or eight goals, something like that. Yeah, it's 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 not good. Yeah, not what you would tr- traditionally expect from an Arsenal squad, no. right? So we think about you know Wenger's kind of free flowing and sometimes maybe too intricate, you know, uh, offensive schemes and uh, offensive patterns kind of moving forward. But uh, they're just they're not there right now, and they're certainly not there at the back either, right, Bear? So I mean, there's there's yeah. some problems there, right? So whether it's personnel or what, I'm not sure. You know, I, I think it is. It comes down to tactics. Um, I, you kind of mentioned it with Tottenham, you know, not not having those creative guys in the midfield. And when Arsenal have looked good this season, which was right at the beginning of the season, um, they had Willian, you know, being a creator, um, assisting and creating chances. And, you know, after that first couple of weeks, I mean, you haven't heard us mention him once, right? So no, I think the first two or three games he was yeah. good. And then that, after that, it's been nothing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think they're missing kind of like Tottenham, that creative spark in the midfield. And they're just asking – Obama Yang and uh, Lacazette to do too much. They're not getting good service. They're having to, you know, get the ball a little bit deeper and try to, you know, go up against four defenders and a couple of holding midfielders. And there's just too many uh, defensive bodies in the way, I think. Yeah, if only they had a world-class creative midfielder somewhere in the squad that they were paying hundreds of thousands of pounds a week to <laughs> that they just can't seem to get into the uh, to the the match day squad, yep. right? So uh, the Mezzet uh, Urzel saga continues. And you got to think that Urzel probably has a little smirk on his face whenever a result like this happens. Yeah. And, uh, you, and, um, and maybe that's why he doesn't get in the game. It's probably <laughs> part of it, too. I think he is kind of a twat, so yeah. uh, at least from a past history standpoint. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and again, I continue to – I couldn't be more wrong about Aston Villa and Dean Smith. I think when you think back to the preseason pod, and I said, hey, that's going to be the first manager sacked, uh, and I think Villa's going down for the drop. They narrowly avoided it last year, but that's going to get them this year. Uh, I was uh, an idiot. Uh, I'll go ahead and admit it there. I was dead wrong. If it makes you feel any better, um, you know, I mentioned on that opening pod that I was kind of in a coin flip situation with um, – Sean Dyche yeah, and yep, yep, and yep. Uh, Jose Mourinho. So Mourinho's sitting second in the table. So <laughs> right. uh, fortunately, I, I I flipped the coin the right direction and uh, I went with Sean Dyche. Yeah, and Burnley they've been disappointing, right? Yeah. We're not going to dedicate a whole lot of time to Burnley yeah. on this pod, I don't think. But uh, they're they haven't been quite as uh, I don't know if resilient. Maybe is the right word. Uh, that and same thing with uh, Sheffield United, right? And we talked about them overachieving last year, and I think uh, reality starting to set in, and they they look set for the drop as uh, things currently stand right now. But um, you know, let, let's go to the top. Of the table guys and again we're eight games through uh roughly a quarter of the way through the season and just like we drew it up Leicester City uh, at the top of the table here but uh they win a close game uh over Wolves 1-0 again a JB Jamie Vardy penalty is what ends up deciding it but Vardy actually had two penalties in this one and he actually missed a penalty I mean uh, it was know, yeah clutch the pearls right Barrett well it was saved not missed <laughs> well, so let's be clear true. there he, he did yeah. he did have it on frame but That's yeah right. he didn't get it past the keeper yeah, so uh, that, that first penalty uh, goes down in the 15th minute, and that was really all that kind of separated the sides after that. But uh, uh, anything jump out to you uh, from this game, uh, Barrett, that, uh, you know, again, Leicester City, uh, I, I guess, uh, as much as a, a former or former Liverpool manager uh, kind of running the show there, so yeah. it might to kind of grit your teeth to kind of give him credit, but uh, he's done a decent job there, right? No, no, he really has. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sad to see Brennan Rodgers go. Uh, it was time, but, uh, you know, 
he, he was a decent manager for Liverpool. He just wasn't the guy to, to do what Jurgen's done. So, uh, you know, happy for him that he's having some success at Leicester and, uh, you know, hope he can, uh, finish, say, you know, anywhere from second to fourth in the table this year. Yeah. I feel like this is that situation to where it's easy to be benevolent, uh, and, and to have, have say good things about your ex whenever you trade up. And so Liverpool yep. obviously trade yeah. up, you know, Jurgen Klopp is the, is the, the 10, right? The hot blonde. Yep. Whereas mm-hmm. Brendan Rogers was like a seven, right? Maybe a little yeah. chunky, right? So yeah, Jurgen's uh, yeah. got that smile, you yeah, know, you know, just a, <laughs> a, a real, real great personality and stuff. But whenever you trade up, it's easier to, uh, to kind of look back fondly on things and say, yeah. well, you know, it was a good, good run, but it just didn't work out. But, yeah. uh, Clayton, you're, you're, thoughts on Leicester City again uh, at the uh, the quarter quarter way through the uh, season here roughly right so uh, but uh, top of the table right so Rodgers and uh, Jamie Vardy and uh, you know Yuri Tillemans who I know is a mainstay from a fantasy pick and we all like him but they've yeah. they've played really well right yeah I mean I mean they're sitting pretty right now and you know even if they haven't been scoring goals they've always you know nicked one at the end to get those one zero results I mean that's I mean that's why they're you know close to the top of the table here um I mean, I thought Casper Schmeichel played an outstanding game as well, you know, saving anything that was coming his way. I thought he had an outstanding game. So, I mean, that's that's all I have on Leicester, really. I mean, they just find ways to win. I, yeah. I was actually a, a little bit uh, impressed with Wolves in this one. Um, you know, we talked a few uh, several weeks ago about how they kind of started off slow and were maybe uh, underperforming through the first month. But, uh, you know, despite the loss here, I thought they looked pretty good. Uh, they got a lot of good chances, and you know, as you mentioned, Casper Schmeichel uh, really saved uh, Lester's ass there. Uh, I think uh, Neves had just a couple a really rocket. good saves yeah, in the yeah, second yeah, half. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So uh, I, I think maybe Wolves are starting to uh, get things figured out a little bit. Yeah. Well, or again, so as we stead here, we're eight eight weeks in, right? So most teams have played eight games. Obviously, uh, uh, United and City um, and uh, and their their opponents would have been Burnley and Aston Villa are a game behind simply because they uh, they got that extra week off at the beginning of the season due to the late uh, European runs there. But, you know, we take a look at the table here. We got Leicester City at at, uh, at the top, Spurs one point behind, uh, Liverpool one point behind and third on goal differential, and then Southampton and fourth, <laughs> right, at 16 points. Maybe the most shocking of, of the top four would probably have to be the Saints, right? Yeah, and uh, again, kind of an ex-Liverpool guy you're happy for, Danny Ings. Um, love what he's done for Southampton uh, the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, and he he got injured a couple of weeks ago yep. too, and so hopefully yep. he can kind of come back uh, and continue that goal scoring for him because again he's he's put up a bunch of uh, put up put a bunch of the back of the net I should say for Saints since he made that transition. But Chelsea fifth, uh, Clayton at fifteen points, and then Aston Villa right there at fifteen points as well with a game in hand as well. So if they yep. they they win that game in hand, which I think is against Manchester United, so I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, they could uh, conceivably be top of the table as well. But uh, anything from the table kind of stand out to you? Obviously, our Manchester United way down there at 14th, 10 points. But again, having a game in hand, had they if they win the game in hand, they're all the way up to seventh, I think. But uh, your thoughts on the table uh, and uh, any any shocks there or real surprises uh, from that standpoint, bud? I mean, you look at uh, 10 and 11 there. You have Manchester City and then Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then obviously Manchester United at 14th. But we don't have to mention that. But no, I mean, yeah, the biggest shocker is Southampton by far. Um I mean, they've been playing great, and they totally deserve the points that they've gotten, and that's why they're in fourth. Yeah, you, you, you go further down the table there, and you guys see Leeds United at 15th. And, again, I think it was a side that we kind of all had pegged for yep. you know mid-table or maybe even finishing in the top half, and they had a surprising loss uh, this past weekend against Crystal Palace, 4-1. Uh, Palace just jumped out all over them and kicked their butts. And so, you know, again, I, I think – 
Inconsistency, perhaps, is is uh, the word that uh, you would use to define or describe a lot of these squads through the first eight weeks uh, of the EPL. Uh, and again, probably shouldn't be that shocking given all the crazy crap that we're experiencing uh, due to the pandemic and uh, uh, the delay uh, in finishing off the last year's season and then kind of the relative quick restart, uh, which will kind of tie into a discussion that we'll talk about here in a moment with injuries. But uh, yeah, I, I think inconsistency is the word. Yeah, and, and one other thing in the table there, you, you see a – you're starting to see a separation there uh, between Leeds and 15th and Brighton and 16th. Uh, that bottom five is, is kind of separating themselves, not in the good way, um, kind of getting a gap there between uh, them and the, the rest of the pack. So I think we're looking at a, at a five-team race for the bottom here uh, for those relegation places. Nope, I, I, I think that's a good good observation there. And Ian, you, you think about those top or I guess four bottom teams, five five in particular, right? So Brighton uh, at 16th with six points, Fulham, West Brom, Burnley, and Sheffield. And again, I think that was a squad's, for the most part, that encompassed who we thought would be at the bottom, right? So it was some sort of combination of Fulham, West Brom, uh, Sheffield, Burnley, Brighton amongst our preseason picks. And, and, and don't so, forget your Aston Villa pick. And my Aston Villa pick, yeah, <laughs> which is a spot on as they uh, set uh, uh, sixth in the table right now with a game in hand and an opportunity to move uh, to the top of the table. So, yeah, I, I was uh, all over that one. So, uh, you guys, I'm sure you won't let me forget that throughout the uh, the next 30 weeks of, uh, of match play as well. But, uh, well, you know, other news that kind of popped up this week, guys, and somewhat, I don't think it's controversial that he was dismissed, but we have to talk about um, some, some FA football chairmen. Uh, across the world, I guess, not just in England, that uh, find themselves in hot water. And I guess maybe the, uh, the the lighter story, or at least I don't know if it's lighter is the right way to say it, but the Bolivian FA chairman, he was arrested at Bolivia's uh, World Cup qualifier uh, earlier this week on charges of corruption. And so um, that seems to be a shit show down in Bolivia as to who's going to run their football association and uh, kind of what's going on there. But I think the bigger story, certainly given that this is an EPL or English football uh, league uh, um focused podcast would be that of FA chairman Greg Clark uh, being, I don't I assume he was forced to resign. He resigns uh, after making some uh, uh, rather stupid statements uh, to parliament there uh, during a, a hearing on, I think it's sport media and um, entertainment, uh, some sort of subcommittee there as to what football's doing uh, in light of the pandemic. And then, you know, obviously talking about diversity and inclusion issues and Essentially, said a whole litany of things. I think the uh, uh, the only only group that he didn't uh, offend during that uh, ten to twelve minute uh, conversation. I don't think that he said anything derogatory or anti-Semitic, but I think he yeah. checked all the other boxes, if, uh, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So what, yeah, he what, almost what hit the, the trifecta. What the hell was he thinking? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, and somewhat. I don't know if it's just one of these old white men out of touch and not not really understanding what, what the way the world works right now. But uh, you know, obviously referred to uh, uh, African American or not African American, I guess maybe, <laughs> but uh, uh, black players in England, right? So as, as colored, uh, had some other controversial statements about uh, the the gay community there as well as South Asian and and uh, I mean he again he he ran the gamut during a ten to twelve minute conversation. But not a shocker that he's been dismissed, right, Barrett? So yeah. pro- probably could see that coming. Yeah, you know, my biggest question is, how do we still have these stories? Like, like, where have these guys been for the last 20 years? Everyone knows you just can't say shit like that and expect to go on about your day. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, did the guy have any malice in what he was saying? No, but he just said stupid shit that you can't say, and everybody knows you can't say. 
Yeah, and again, kind of reminds you of just, you know, an old, old, uh, you know, your grandparents, right? So it's yep. like, well, maybe they're just setting their ways and that's just the way they say things. But again, you're the FA, FA chairman, right? So you're you're being paid to talk in public spaces and to be careful about what you say. <laughs> Pro- uh, probably best not to go off script yeah. if you're, you know, older than 65. Just yeah, insane. Exactly. It, it really, really kind of uh, strange, you know, Clayton, because you think about, and again, his tenure has been somewhat controversial over the last four years due to some other things, right? So I think his first, one of his first things after he was a appointed FA chairman was to get uh, Big Sam Allardyce uh, thrown out as the uh, the uh, English uh, uh, manager there because I, I think it was kind of a conflict personality or per, uh, conflict of personalities, whatever you want to call it. He didn't like Big Sam. Uh, and so there was a lot of talk that he was the guy that kind of spearheaded some of those things that got Big Sam uh, thrown out. Uh, but you know, he, he's been a controversial figure, uh, but although he's been at the helm of the FA under arguably what would be the most progressive um, you know, inclusive, uh, you know, the, the kick it out racism campaign and, and some of these other things, you know, talking about uh, inclusivity and diversity that's happened under his watch. But yeah, I mean, how do, do can you reconcile any of these things, Clayton? No, I mean, <laughs> as Bill Burr said, you can be too old, man. And you just say, you got to check out. You're just, you're just going to say stupid shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if those were his ideas, to be honest. Um, he, he was probably like, well, let's go back to the 1950s, like how it used to be. And, you know, I don't know. It's it's uh, under his regime. Yeah, they've done good stuff, but personally, he's just a shithead. Yeah, I, I think that that's a that's a fair way to put it. And so, obviously, again, he he wasn't going to last in the job much longer after saying that, and he pretty much uh, uh, was resigned or forced to resign the next day. So, no no shocker there. Will be interesting to see who the FA appoints right as the uh, as the next chairman because you know you think back as to at least over the last 10, 12, 15 years, you know, that since I've really been into um, uh, English. Uh, the Premier League and, and kind of international footy, uh, from a knowledge base standpoint at least, is that it's been one stuffy old white guy after another, right? Yep. And so, uh, will they make a change uh, after this now and uh, and kind of look for you know perhaps a uh, a younger you know more diverse uh, candidate to kind of lead that uh, for the next five to ten years, or will it be just another old rich white stuffy? guy uh, well, that they put in the chair. I will say this. I don't think there's a shortage of old, rich, white, stuffy guys in England. No, so I, think that's, I wouldn't that's, get my hopes up if I were you. That's a big uh, segment of the population there. So, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it and see, you know, what impact that that might have. He was heavily involved with this project, Big Picture, and the discussions there. And so it's a powerful position uh, in, in England. So there's there's no doubt about it. And so uh, we'll keep tabs on to who uh, who might be uh, the next person in line to take that gig. So, but, uh, uh, you know, moving on, you know, to continue to talk about EPL and some of the power grabs there and stuff. So the EPL uh, news broke this week that they finally scrapped uh, this pay-per-view model uh, for some of the, what I would consider off-network games, I guess, there in England, right? So you think about Sky Sky Sports and uh, um, uh, some of the, the main um, uh, football stations there uh, that kind of have the games each and every week. And so probably a good move, right? So in the light of pandemic and so many people being laid off and not having jobs and you know, money being an issue, if you're going to take you know your, their favorite football team away and not being able to watch that on a regular basis from a TV model standpoint and force them to pay 20 bucks a match or whatever the, I think it was maybe 14 or 14.95 from a yeah. pounds or something. I don't remember what it was, but probably a good move from a PR standpoint. Right, Barrett? Yeah. I mean, look, we, we all know that these, you know, clubs are struggling uh, you are. Know, for yeah. revenue. You know, they've lost the, all that revenue from ticket sales. We all get that, but everybody else has lost revenue too. And they've lost dollars out of their pockets and they've lost jobs. So, I mean, ultimately, this idea is nothing more than a fan tax. So, I'm going to tax you for being a fan of our club. You can't come to the games, but you're still going to have to pay full price uh, to watch the game at home. So, look, if you want to make up that revenue, offer your fans something legitimate in exchange for their dollar for their pounds. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. And if you think about it, it's kind of crazy that it might be arguably, it, it's conceivably easier to watch every EPL match and maybe even every champions uh, championship match here in the States than what it is in England. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right, Clayton? Yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, we kind of have that issue with Peacock and the subscription that we need to purchase for yeah, that. I, I plopped down my I, my subscription on it as well. Yeah, yeah so I paid I mean, for it begrudgingly. Yeah, I would, like you said, Bear, I mean... I wonder if there is such a thing that fans can do and pay for and still watch the game. Oh, yeah, that's going to the game. Yep. <laughs> I mean, if, if you want money, I mean, Germany's already doing it. They have, a, like, a limited fan, limited fans. The U.S. is doing it. Why not, you know, the English Premier League? At least get someone in there, make some noise. I mean, it's been pretty boring outside of that. But, yeah, charging the fans that are out of work, you know, everyone's losing revenue. It's just, it's just not a good play. Yeah. Not, not a good move. And, uh, and yeah, it will be interesting to see that, you know, maybe after, after January, right after the holiday break, will they consider opening it up uh, similar to what we've seen some NFL uh, squads here in American football, even if it's at a reduced capacity, right? So 20% capacity or something along those lines. We've seen it in a lot of college football stadiums as well. Although college football, um, you know, we're, we're big college football fans here on the Yankee Wankers podcast as well. And man, there's just a slew of games getting yep. canceled or postponed this week uh, due to COVID issues across the, the really runs from one coast to the other. So numbers not trending in the right direction on that front. So hopefully we can get a, get a handle on it, but um, I think it might be uh, uh, get a little uglier before it gets better here uh, as we get close to the holiday season. But, you know, again, we've alluded to it a couple of times here, guys. Uh, and that is the rash of injuries that Pretty much every squad uh, in the EPL has been encountering here over the last few weeks. I want I want to give credit here. Uh, I was watching the uh, the post game or maybe it's the halftime uh, discussions on um, uh, NBC. Uh, Rebecca Lowe and uh, and Robbie um, uh, Earl, Robbie, um, Robbie Earl. Musto, I think. Yeah, I can't remember which one of, which one of the the Robbies oh, it was yeah. uh, that was on the uh, the halftime show. But they were talking about you know the injuries being up. I think it was like forty percent or something. It was yeah. a crazy number from a statistical standpoint through the first eight weeks. And again, it boils down to. The fact that it was it was overusage, right? Games are being sandwiched in to kind of accommodate a, an abbreviated schedule due to COVID. But you know, is there a solution to this, Barrett? I guess that would be we've we've identified that there's a problem, but how do yeah. you fix it? Well, you know, in in the notes, you know, prior to the podcast you sent out, you asked, is you know, is it time for a winter break? You know, my response to that is no. All a winter break is going to do is further congest the fall and the spring, right? Yeah. And England has been so averse to that anyways because they make so much money during that period, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. they're going to squeeze all those games, Boxing Day and New Year's. Yeah, they're not going to do that. Yeah, and, and yeah, you, you, you take out that block, you got to put those games somewhere because they're not deviating from 38 matches home and away against every other club. You know, I think I think what the solution was, and we've probably passed that point, was to cancel the meaningless Nations League and reduce the uh, international break so that club fixtures can be spread out a little bit more. Maybe don't throw out Nations League. Maybe make it like a U23 competition this time around and scrap the relegation and, and promotion aspect of it or something. You know, the other continents with World Cup qualifying going on, like in South America, yeah, that's a problem. But, I mean, come on, we've got, you know, plenty of time before the World Cup. Surely they can figure out how to get a lot more of those matches done in the summer or something so that these guys aren't playing every three days. No, I agree. And, and Clayton, you know, your, your thoughts, again, I, I just don't – I don't ever foresee – the EPL instituting a winter break the way the, you know, the, the, the Bundesliga and yeah. some of the other uh, European countries do get a lot of it's, you know, kind of weather related, but then holiday related too. It's like, well, footballers are people too, right? So they want to go home and spend Christmas and new years with their family. But again, the EPL just makes so much money off of TV revenue and usually fans in the stands right, right. during those games as well. But you know, your thoughts, man, any, any, any ideas as to how we can adjust this? 
I mean, they don't have very many domestic cups too, right? Um, within just Germany, one, right? yeah, so, it's yeah. just one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I get rid of some of these domestic cups. Uh, maybe just do a regional thing and play every once every two months or something like that between you know six teams or whatever. Just have like a regional battle out there. I mean, that's one part. I mean, the M- and I've discussed this before. I mean, like just like in the MLS, they have that Cascadia Cup. I know it's not you know, a domestic cup or, you know, it's it's not really related to what the EPL guys go through on a week in, week out basis, but, you know, make it, make, make something regional if you still want to have a cup. Um, and again, I mean, that's not why, if you're, if you're competitive in the EPL, you also want to be competitive in these competitions too. And then I've touched on this before, it's just, you don't really see very many English Premier League clubs make it through the Champions League, you know, based on their schedule. Um, it's just, it's really grueling and it needs to either be expanded out. Maybe they need to stretch the season out or, you know, get rid of some of these cup, cup matches. Yeah. We, we, we you think back to a couple months ago, whenever it was, and we talked about it here on the pod, when that whole project big picture thing kind of broke and, and we, we said it then it's like, well, you know, it's got some good points to it. It's not all bad. Right. Yep. So you think about, you know, it was a reduction of the Premier league down from 20 to 18 squads, which would reduce, you know, take four games off the books there. And it, I think it contemplated getting rid of the Carabao cup, right. Or the yes, league cup, did. if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yep. And so, you know, a, a redu- reducing the congestion of fixtures in particularly around this time, uh, you think about, you know, maybe December, January, and then uh, into early February, especially for those teams that are in Europe, you know, those those uh, uh, knockout stage games are kicking back up. And so, you know, probably some good points to it. Again, the I think the part that fell apart was all the uh, the big clubs having uh, essentially unanimous control over uh, what was going to happen moving forward and, and understandable as to why you know, a lot of the other uh, leagues and, uh, uh, I guess, smaller clubs, if you want to refer to them as that, were, were so resistant. But there were some good tenants and some good points to it as well. But, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's, it's going to continue to probably get worse, right? And you think yep. about the summer, it's like, oh, well, they'll heal up in the summer. It's like, well, no, they won't because we've got the Euros this summer, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's, not, it's not going to change, right? So that was delayed uh, this summer, obviously, due to COVID, and they're going to kick it back. And so uh, it's going to be an international summer now as well. Uh, yeah, so. the, the, the big key here is nobody is willing to give up their share of the revenue, their slice of the pie. None of these competitions are willing to say, you know what? We'll cancel ours so that these guys can have a rest. They all want somebody else to cancel theirs. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's a, a money grab, a power grab, uh, which is often what these things kind of boil down to. So unfortunate uh, that that's what it boils down to, but probably not surprising as yeah. well. So, well, well, we've we've mentioned it uh, on numerous times now is that it is uh, international break weekend, so no EPL games to preview and make picks for, which is always kind of depressing, right? So it always feels like it's like weeks or months uh, uh, to kind of get through the international break. And so, you know, looking back last week to the fantasy pick 'em guys. We all did incredibly well. We all scored north of 900 points in our scoring system, which is really good. So, right, 1,100 is a perfect score. You got 11 guys, and they can get 100 points if you want to think about it in that context. And so, I edged the guys out. Uh, I had 984, uh, Barrett with 939, and Clayton right behind it, 932, which are all really, really good scores. And so, that kind of brings the yearly total, if you will, to uh, three wins for me, two for Barrett, two for Clayton. And so, it's all still neck and neck. Again, we didn't make picks uh, during week one because we were doing the big preseason pod, but I uh, I take the lead into the international break a quarter of the way through the season. And so what we want to spend a lot of time talking on 
uh, I guess maybe the main topic here for the last 15, 20 minutes of the pod uh, would be that of the return of the United States men's national team. And so they played yesterday afternoon, right? So a Wells nil-nil uh, draw, uh, although not necessarily a boring and drab nil-nil draw. I don't think that's a fair way uh, to um, describe it, but we had a lot of young guys get their debuts. Uh, we saw more of some younger guys that are incredibly talented, but you think about the state of the United States men's national team right now, we have more young talent playing for some of the big clubs in Europe than probably we've, we ever have, right? So I'm, I'm trying to think back to a time to where we had this many guys uh, playing in Europe and playing for some of the bigger clubs. But, you know, your thoughts, uh, Barrett, I'll start with you on that Wells match yesterday. Um, they get a clean sheet uh, in Europe, so that, that's that's a good result, right? But um, uh, anything any, anything to take away from that matchup? I mean, those, those youngsters look really smooth. Um, they, they obviously have a lot of quality and a lot of skill. Um, otherwise they wouldn't be playing, you know, with, the, at the biggest clubs in Europe, but, uh, you know, they just lacked finishing, you know, very promising against a well side that, that honestly have some, has some real quality as well. Gareth Bale didn't play, I don't believe, but you know, they still had, uh, you know, Harry Wilson and Nico Williams and, uh, a lot of these premier league players, um, uh, going. So it was stiff competition, <laughs> you know, Conrad, uh, De La Fuente probably had the, the biggest uh, chance and he just kind of skies it, kind of snatches at it. And then back on, down on the other end, Zach Steffen had a big time one-on-one save to uh, preserve the clean sheet. Yeah, kind there, of so. saved it with yeah. his feet, yeah. I think, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, kind of a kick save and a butte. Yeah, so, yeah uh, so, so so very promising, you know, especially for a squad that, I mean, quite honestly, they haven't had a chance to play together yet. You know, they haven't played in, in almost a year uh, as the national team and it, the 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 team uh, picks were just uh, drastically different uh, back in February. Yeah, it, it, exciting to see. And you take a look at some of the, the stats there, Clayton. You know, the U.S. had 61% possession, right? They had more shots. I mean, it was a two-to-one for shots on goal. You know, I think the USA was the more aggressive side, right? So, again, they had, they had you know, more more fouls, uh, more offsides, you know, kind of kind of moving forward and trying to do some things there, more corners as, as well. But, uh, you know, what jumped out to you from this, again, first time that we've seen this, <laughs> the U.S. team on the pitch in, in, in almost a year, right? So, it's been a long time. Time, I think so but your uh your thoughts on it what stood out to you bud yeah I mean I want to begin with the midfield play I thought it was you know exceptional you had uh Moose out there first time getting his cap for the U.S. at 17 years old I gotta be honest he did not look 17 he was very composed on the ball he was he could take on players as well um obviously Tyler Adams playing for RB Lightspig um and then Weston McKinney I mean, he's the engine in that midfield, and I mean, he's going to hustle, you know, the full ninety minutes until he's limping off the field, and that's something you want to see. Um, I thought he played excellent too. He was he 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 was did well in possession, um, and then some of the guys up top. I mean, Sebastian Legette, uh, he's not a striker. I don't think that's his natural position either. Um, he's more of a winger. Um, I guess they were kind of strapped for a winger or a striker at that moment in time because I think um, uh, Josh Sargent had, they, I guess, um, Vernon Brayman. Yeah, so Vernon Brayman wasn't letting him go, and so they kind of had a – they were kind of strapped for strikers, I guess you could say, and I think they were kind of giving some other guys some of the rest. Um, but, no, defensively, I thought, you know, Brooks played an outstanding game too. Um, you know, him and Miazga back there were – I mean, they played good balls when, you know, there's a bunch up in the midfield there by Wales that they were willing to play through the lines and hit it up uh, hit it up top for those guys that run onto it. And then, obviously, Sergio Dest, you know, had some shakiness, some moves out there. They were, 
they were oozing confidence, just like you said, Barrett. I mean, they just couldn't – that attacking crispness and, like, their accuracy was kind of lacking out there, so – yeah, and we'll get to see them again uh, in just a couple of days, right? So they're going to take on Panama uh, in a – I believe it's just an international friendly. I don't think there's any uh, anything on the, the books from it uh, per se uh, from a qualification standpoint. But, uh, you know, Panama is obviously a, sky, a side that they're familiar with in CONCACAF qualifying. You think about Gold Cup and World Cup qualifying there. And so we'll be some familiarity there, at least with the two sides, and we'll see, you know, what type of lineup – um, that we throw out there again, will it be a, a more more debutants or, or will it be more of a, a kind of a consistency between what we saw here? But you know, you think about I, I think I think you guys are right. You know, we we lack a true striker, right? A true number nine. Um, and you think about Altador has been there for the last few or so many years now and kind of been that guy in the middle. Uh, and his hold up play has has been always good. And there's you know, finishing kind of leaves some things to be desired. I think would be a fair way to assess. Uh, his international career and probably even professional career as well. But, um, you know, will they be able to find that? And uh, obviously, you know, Pulisic is out, right, so with the, with the hamstring injury. And so it's not a, not a full power or a, a full, um, full squad as it stands. But, yeah, you have to be excited about, you know, what you saw out there. And so any, any thoughts on the, the, the Panama match uh, that's going to be on Monday afternoon? You know, Panama doesn't have the, nearly the star power as Wales or, or the U.S. for that matter. But, you know, just looking back historically, they're they're well organized, they're structured, and they're just a tough out. I mean, it's you, you look up and down that team sheet, and you don't see uh, you know guys playing in Europe. They're all playing over here in the Western Hemisphere. It seems like uh, it, it, it's they're tough. So you know, we got to see that killer instinct. We got to see that finishing. Uh, the U.S. should out talent them, and you expect to get that win. But uh, ultimately, uh, we'll see if they can turn that corner. Okay, well, well, let's talk about, you know, the the Philadelphia Union coach, I saw some quotes there, you know, talked about the 2026 World Cup. And obviously that's going to be the World Cup that the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, Canada all jointly host, although I think more of the matches are going to be uh, in the U.S. Yep. Uh, I mean, a couple of locations, two or three sites in uh, Canada and maybe one or two in Mexico, if I'm not, not mistaken there. I don't remember all the host cities as it's uh, currently slated, but uh, six years from now. Uh, he said that the goal, that this squad and this generation, it would be to win that World Cup uh, and that that should be the goal and that that should be something that's attainable. And, again, so we're six years down the road. And again, you, you mentioned Musa and some of these other youngsters. You know, Gio Reyna, uh, that's obviously at Barusa Dortmund right now. You know, these guys are 17, 18 years old. And you fast forward six years from now, they're going to be in those mid-20s, which you, you would assume would be the peak, right, for most uh, uh, professional footballers' career there between, you know, 23 and 28 or so, let's say. Uh, on average, and so, you know, is this the generation, and is that the, I guess, point ahead that we should look to and show some patience, perhaps, over the next three or four years uh, in allowing these youngsters to kind of develop and really be aiming for that 2026 World Cup? But your thoughts on that, Clayton, and that statement? I mean, that's a tough one to call. I mean, it is going to be in the U.S., and like you said, you're going to have some of those players, you know, at their peak, um, it's kind of, I don't know if you want to put the golden generation label on it just yet, but I mean, we, we have all this young talent now they're in the right areas, you know, they're, they're playing for the right clubs, getting consistent minutes. But I mean, you also want to look at the, um, 2022 world cup. I mean, obviously, I mean, you got to see where we finish there too. I mean, there needs to be a consistency built by, uh, Greg Berhalter to, you know, if you get some turnover within the team, I mean, there's got to be a consistent way of reducing that learning curve when a new player does come in, right? So 
I mean, I think 2026 is realistic, um, but it'll it'll be tough, even though we're going to be on U.S. soil. Yeah, and you know, you think about you know the best finishes that the U.S. has had in World Cups in the past. I want to say you know you, you rewind back to maybe the second or third World Cup ever, right in the 30s. I think we made it to the semifinals, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, in modern the modern era, Barrett, I think it was the quarterfinals and that uh, yeah. Ka- yeah. Korea Japan yeah. uh, 2002 2000 yeah, yeah right to where we beat Mexico in the uh, the knockout round uh, and made it to the quarterfinals, and uh, that was a good squad. That was the early days of uh, Landon Donovan and some of those. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, you think about the, the Hall of Famers, if you will, from a U.S. Uh, men's uh, national team standpoint. But, you know, it's a bold statement, Barrett, but your thoughts. I mean, what should be the expectations going into to the World Cups? And, and again, you mentioned, you know, I think 2026 is probably the one from most American standpoint, from a reasonable expectation, that would be the one that we would look to to say, all right, we should be competitive here. But what, what would be a good finish? What would be a good result? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a touch premature to talk about winning it, right? Um, when last World Cup, we didn't even qualify. That being said... This grouping of talent, having this many players at big clubs across Europe, not just not just on the rosters, but playing and contributing, we, we've never had a generation like this come up. Uh, this is unprecedented for U.S. players. And, you know, I'm not going to say we should be the favorites in 2026 or, or anything like that, but it should be our six years out, it looks to be our best opportunity we've ever had. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think that that should be uh, kind of a rallying cry, right? And so if you, you get to the quarterfinals and get knocked out, well, hell, that's still the best return that we've ever had, but you know, maybe maybe they can get lucky, right? So maybe they get a good draw, they win the group, and you make it through to the semis on, on home soil, and that would be uh, uh, amazing, right? You think back to that 94 you know, World Cup, and, and that U.S. team was probably kind of the scrappy underdog, right? And so it actually made it out of the group stage and into the knockout rounds there, and that was kind of considered a big achievement, but you, know, you compare to the, the success of the women, right? The women's team has just been dominant for the last 20 years. And so, um, you know, there is a path forward, uh, it would seem. And so, obviously, a more challenging path, uh, for sure. Uh, but you, I think you mentioned it, right? So having so much of this young generation playing in Europe, playing against the world's best, uh, whereas that's just something that I don't think that we've had, right? You think about the Landon Donovans and, uh, you know, some of the Clint Dempsey's of the world, where they were playing the MLS, right? So they, they got their opportunity eventually to play in Europe, uh, in, you know, uh, Donovan. I think I went to Everton, right? And yep. uh, Dempsey was at Fulham and uh, some of the other guys, but they just didn't get the same opportunity uh, that these youngsters are getting at such a young age. And so you got to think that it's going to pay dividends, you know, whether it's two years from now, more likely six years from now, right? Yeah. Um, and, and have an impact. And you mentioned, you know, Donovan at, at uh, Everton and Dempsey at Fulham. You know, we're talking about guys at Barcelona, Juventus, Man City, Chelsea, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, not to mention the Valencias and Leipzigs and Wolfsburgs and Lille, you know, not just European yeah. top tier, but the the best of the, the big best clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's got. And you think about the training programs and uh, uh, the the resources at those clubs as well, right? The big big difference between playing for Juventus versus playing for for Fulham or, yep. or one of those other you know smaller clubs uh, uh, for sure. And so you would think that that would pay dividends. And fingers crossed, right? We'll be looking forward to it. Just six years away, guys. So we'll uh, you know, snap our fingers and we'll we'll be there. And uh, hopefully this whole uh, pandemic and the COVID shit is over it, and we can uh, we can go maybe take a road trip, right? Watch a couple matches during that World Cup summer uh, here in the U.S., uh, just a scant five and a half years from now. So uh, it'll be here before we know it. But, well, guys, again, no no picks from an EPL standpoint. We're right up against the hour mark here, and so we'll, we'll wrap it up here. And so, again, just want to remind our listeners – 
that we'll be doing a live pod at Chalk tomorrow afternoon from 12 to 4, right? So as you're listening to this, whether it's on Friday night, it'll be tomorrow, but if you wake up early on Saturday morning and listen to it there, uh, maybe come out a little bit early, have some brunch there at Chalk, and there'll be some college football. There's going to be all kinds of Masters coverage from the golf standpoint. So we're, uh, we'll be talking a lot of golf and then uh, commenting on some college football and uh, uh, international football as well. So, so looking forward to that. Come out and say hello. Grab a T-shirt, and again, we'll be giving away some gift cards to Chalk as well. So come out and meet the Sports Pros Network. And, and Keith, I can't let you uh, sneak out of here without uh, this one uh, piece of news that we missed. Uh, you recapped our fantasy performance. You forgot the predictor. Ah, I did. So, I, happened, uh, I happened to forget that. Yeah, I wonder why. Us, how, how'd that go, Barrett? Well, um, uh, you know, I, I, I eked out another win. Uh, I think it was uh, 16 to 8 to 8 this yep. time. Yep. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, gives me seven wins on the season to keep. I think you're at 100, 100 points, right? Or something like uh, that. Something I saw. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're definitely kicking our ass. S- seven wins for me, and I believe Keith has one, and uh, uh, Clayton's playing too. Yeah, I'm still kicking Clayton's <laughs> ass. I'm still kicking Clayton's ass. That's all that matters. So, no, you're right. Uh, Barrett's just been on a tear. I mean, it's it's like every freaking week you get uh, one of them spot on. So you, you get like the 10-point max or whatever it is for getting one of them. And that's if you just I'm, do that every week, you're going to win. Well, so. I'm, a, I'm trying to win the 50 grand. So <laughs> say you're, you're going to you definitely have a better chance than Clayton and I. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So. Play the real sport. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, well, guys, for our listeners out there, again, how, how, how can we get in touch with you, man? So I know, uh, Barrett, Clayton, you guys have been active on Twitter this week. And over the last couple of weeks, you know, talking about some international footy, but I think throwing some barbs out there uh, as well and talk a little bit of masters as well. But uh, Barrett, where can we reach you? Find me on Twitter at Hartman underscore LFC. Okay, great, great, great. And don't let that LFC uh, scare you, gang. So it's not, it's, it's, he can't help it. So, uh, but uh, Clayton, what about you, man? Where can we find you on Twitter, Instagram, the whole nine yards, but where uh, you at? You can find me at McCluskey101 on Twitter and on Instagram. Fantastic, boys. Well, again, well, I hope to see you tomorrow afternoon at Chalk. I realize there might be some uh, duties to take care of at the house. And so we'll, uh, we'll see you if we see you out there tomorrow afternoon. And, and again, appreciate you both being in studio here on a day later, right? Uh, spending your Friday afternoon. It's five o'clock somewhere, right? So it's a officially happy hour here on a Friday afternoon. So we'll probably go have a couple of brewskis uh, here at the studio and uh, look forward to the start of the weekend. And, uh, and while this will wrap it up for this episode, gang, remember the conversation doesn't end here to keep it going and also keep up with everything we're doing over at the sports pros network. Check us out at fantasy or on Twitter at sports underscore pros or on Instagram as well at fantasy sports pros. And remember that's pros with an E P R O S E enjoy the international matches this week, but enjoy the masters as well. We'll talk Talk to you next week, gang. Cheers.